few years from now, if things would really go sideways from an environment or clean water thing, a granddaughter or grandson may look up at you and say, hey, why didn't somebody do something? What's shaking? Welcome back to All In. I'm your host, Rick Jordan. My guest today, in 1979, paddled a canoe from central Minnesota to Hudson Bay. That's a long distance. Good God. And this summer, he'll be canoeing south from central Minnesota to the Gulf of Mexico. I'm really intrigued about this because the unique nature of this endeavor is to make people aware of and seek donations for clean water projects. Hank Kohler, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Rick. It's a pleasure. and Thank you for having me on. Man, I'm excited to talk to you today because I see all this information and we were talking a little bit before the show that this is like a give back for you, right? While you're doing these trips? Yes, absolutely. Water has taken me to wonderful places. It's given me fabulous experiences and great family memories. And I'd like to try to give back, but I never had a career path or education process that would give me the ability or the resources to do some of the fabulous things that other people can. So I want to help the ones that can help. That's awesome. So let's think back to your first trip. Cause I'm thinking it's like, how did you get started, man? You know, who came up with the idea about traveling by canoe, you know, to, to these amazing places and these incredible distances. That's a great question. Rick. The backstory, you have to go all the way back when I'm a little kid, I grew up on a family farm in Iowa. And every summer, the very last week before school started, dad would take us on a fishing vacation up in Ottertail County, Minnesota. Well, we're up there one time and I'm probably like 12 or so and it's just pouring on us. This old rowboat that we rented is filling up with water and dad sits there and he asks me a question. He says, Henry, do you know where these raindrops will end up when they finally journey to the sea? And of course, you know, if you're in like fifth grade, you think you know almost everything, which I was pretty positive of by then. So I said, Dad, they're probably going to get to the Mississippi River and go down to the Gulf of Mexico. He didn't even look up from the drops coming off his hat. He just said, no, this water goes north, which it does. In that area of the country, the watershed goes west and then north to Hudson Bay. And ever since I was that little kid, I dreamt about trying to follow those raindrops to where they ended up. That's awesome. Was your first trip then in 1979? Was that your central Minnesota to Hudson Bay? Yes, that's one I, I convinced uh, one of my younger brothers, Keith, to go along and two friends, Rich Whipke and Denny Weideman, and we left East Leaf Lake, Minnesota, the spring of 1979, and it took us on a journey of over 1,300 miles in about 70 days to reach the very end of the water, which is historical significance. It's where the very first Hudson Bay outpost in North America was put in at a place called York Factory, the mouth of the Hayes River. Wow. Did I hear you right? 70 days is how long it took to cover the 1,300 miles? Well, Rick, when I look back at my journal as far as when we camped in that, it was probably about 55 days of camping. But we ran into some very interesting and fun individuals or groups along the way. And sometimes we'd stay there for a few days. (laughs) So this was really just, it ended up being almost like a sabbatical, so to speak, that you just pop in, pop out, almost like you had different ports of call. It sounded like you created your own canoe cruise. Yeah, actually, you know, and we did that trip simply for fun and adventure and the challenge. 
And the four of us had talked ahead of time and said, you know, if we think it's miserable and we don't like it or whatever, we're just going to quit. Because of that, we didn't ask for sponsorship. We didn't want any pressure. We didn't want anybody saying you had to keep going. So that was all we did was it was fun. You know, who wouldn't want to take a whole summer off and paddle in a canoe, you know? Yeah, no kidding. I remember uh, it was, geez, probably 10 years ago, I did some snowmobiling in upper Wisconsin and upper Minnesota. And it was kind of along the same lines is that, you know, I'm, is this how it is along the river? Because along the, the snowmobile routes, you would stop at different towns. You could stop at different places, just hang out, you know, pop in a hotel for a night or something like that, and then get back on the route the very next day. And you could go for hundreds of miles just on a snowmobile. Yeah, it, it was similar to that at the very first part of the, the journey, because we're going down the Red River, which is the boundary between Minnesota and North Dakota, and it flows up through Winnipeg and then into Lake Winnipeg. Along that part of the journey, you know, we could stop and, and talk to somebody, ask them if we could camp, we'd make friends, we'd go have a beer and a pizza or whatever. Once you got past Lake Winnipeg or, or even on Lake Winnipeg and then past there, though, it's just wilderness. So, we didn't run into many people except for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police at a little village called Norway House, and they took us under their wings for a couple nights of fun. Wow, that's that's incredible. So, did you cross over the border then? Yeah, you cross over the border at a place called Pembina and Emerson, right between Manitoba and North Dakota. Then you have about 70 miles to get to the, the beautiful city of Winnipeg. From there, you have another about 50, 60 miles to get to Lake Winnipeg. Now, Lake Winnipeg is a huge body of water. It's over 300 miles long. We're about that. When you're four farm boys from Iowa in 17-foot canoes, that's pretty intimidating. So we, we followed along the eastern shore as carefully as we could and, and got off of it safely. That's incredible, man. Hot. I know you were thinking, hey, I want to end up where the water goes, you know, back from that story when you were a little kid. But hot. How did you even prepare for a trip like this? Because it, you weren't, I don't, I was, I'm 41 right now, right? And I was born in 1979. So I'm thinking you're like 50 years old, right? So you, you're probably 10 or Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> You've got a lot of energy, my man. I appreciate you. I'm thinking the whole time. It's like, I, I, I hope I maintain the energy level and I'm like Hank someday for real. Cause that's awesome. You know, cause uh, how old were you when you did the trip in 1979? Well, in 1979, Rick, I was 27, and I was an old buzzard of the group. My brother and his friend Rich were five years younger, so they're 22, and Danny was just, just out of 20. He was like 20 and 21. And getting back to how we could do the trip, well, initially, of course, you're just following the river. That's pretty easy. But once you get to Lake Winnipeg and then 400 miles of wilderness past there along the Hayes River system, you know, we didn't have computers. We didn't have GPS. I just went to a library at Iowa State University and found old charts and maps and plotted a course. And, and we actually got a compass and, and learned to use it, you know. And fortunately, we, we, we found it. It worked. <laughs> That's awesome. What you do? What do you think you were going to do for food the whole way? Because, I mean, 70 days is a long time. I'm curious. What did you do to prepare for this trip, you know, outside of charting your course and your compass? I mean, that's a long time, man. 70 days and 1,300 miles. Yeah. Well, keep in mind, too, you know, we knew the distance, Rick, but we had no clue how long it would take us when we started. We, In fact, we thought maybe to take most of the summer. We started early in the spring because we knew it would be cold at one end or the other. And I'd rather be cold in civilization than to be getting there too late and be cold at the end. But getting back to the food, the first part, of course, we could stop at little towns along the way, get some supplies. We actually had a cooler. 
But once you got to Lake Winnipeg, there's no real, real, you can't resupply except for two or three places for the next almost 700 miles. So we had not really good freeze-dried food back then, but you know, you had mac and noodles. Um, you'd have a lot of rice. So it was a lot of noodles and rice, noodles and rice, and fish. And, and that's what we ate. You know, for those last 400 miles, we were on pristine fishing waters, which is one of the reasons we did the trip for that. And so we'd eat fish usually twice a day. And if it was a special meal, then it'd just be one variety. You'd say, oh, tonight we'll just have walleye, you know, instead of northern pike. <laughs> That's great. I know Lake Winnipeg is huge fishing country up there from a, a couple of friends that I know that go up there. And it's, uh, but I'm still thinking, it's like, yeah, I was thinking 17 foot canoe. How in the world can you pack enough food to even fit in the canoe for that long? Yeah, <laughs> for 70 days. Yeah, but most of it, I was, you would just fish along the way. And then pack some other things and resupply, like you were saying. That's interesting, man. That's pretty awesome. How many trips have you taken since 79? Well, I've never taken anything that big, Rick. Um, but I have done some very special trips. I've been in Montana, for instance, on the Missouri River, followed Lewis and Clark's Corps of Discovery route. I've canoed through the Little Missouri River, or I should say on the Little Missouri River, through the Theodore Roosevelt National Parks in North Dakota. I've been to wonderful places in Ontario, Woodland Caribou Provincial Park, the Boundary Waters. A very special trip we had about four summers ago now was to the very northern edge of Saskatchewan, as far north as Saskatchewan, because I wanted to catch a special fish called the grayling, kind of on a bucket list. And me and a friend of mine did the Waterfound River system where we saw moose and bear and caught all these fish. But that's a very unique location in the world. It's near a place called Athabasca Provincial Park, where it's the largest moving sand dunes at that latitude. So you wouldn't think that you could get way up in the boreal forest and then find acres of sand dunes. It was really cool. You got photos? I mean, I would like, I mean, not right now, but maybe we could, if you could send them to me, I mean, we can include these as we're posting this to YouTube and everything, because that sounds incredible, my man. But tell me about the clean water side of this, because that's, it's like you said before, you know, there's not a lot that you felt that you could do, except you could give back this way. Why clean water and what are you doing with it? Well, you know, like I said, water has done some special things to me in my life, take me special places. I got to thinking last winter um, when I was up here at a little cabin where we started that trip in 1979, why not go the other direction? But instead of, if I'm going to do that for a whole summer, you know, it'll be fun. It'll be adventure, but I want to give back. So I talked to some very smart friends of mine that work with clean water and soil erosion etc. And they pointed me in the direction of a, a facility called the National Mississippi River Museum and Aquarium. They are, they are headquartered in Dubuque, Iowa, right on the Mississippi River. And they have wonderful programs to teach young people from middle school through college how to be involved in clean water projects, such as taking ownership for the local watersheds, how to help with endangered species like freshwater mussels, and, and, and basically give you hope for the future that these people will be doing the right thing so that the things that I've enjoyed, others still can. That's awesome. You know, when you started in your years of canoeing and fishing, you know, it's taken you to a lot of places, but what are some of the other places that you've been to? Because we've, we've talked about just four. You talked about the sand dunes. Of course, we talked about Hudson Bay. What are some of the more unique places you've been to? Boy, as far as... Uh, you know, the, the cool thing is, Rick, is you can be on 
in really cool places on water without going far away. Now, I live in Ames, Iowa, and there are a few streams near there that we can float down in the summer and camp on the sandbars, catch catfish for supper, listen to the owls, watch the fireflies and the bats come out. And even though you're about 300 or 400 yards from cropland on either side, all you see are green canyons of the willows, the oaks, the maples, the cottonwoods. You're like in your whole little world, not too far from home. So I, I guess that's one thing I could get across to people that listen to this is find special places that are close enough. You know, you can still have a really great experience. That's awesome. So I'm hearing all these places you've gone for years. And man, it sounds like you live on the water. <laughs> really? Like that's a, so I'm thinking, what do you do for money, man? What do you do to make a living? What have you done? <laughs> that's a great question because that's a segue into what water has done as far as negatively impact me. You know, I said I, I didn't have a career or education path to do anything good for environmental causes. I got into the pizza business and I owned a regional pizza chain franchise in Ames, Iowa, and it was completely destroyed by a flood in 2010. 53 inches of water went over the flood wall that I had built and, and destroyed it. So <laughs> water is given, but it's also taketh away. But that's what I did as far as professional life as I owned a pizza restaurant. That's fun. You said a franchise. Was it one location? Did you have multiple locations? Well, it ended up being one location. We, we, I had a couple partners for a while that we tried multiple locations right in the mid-80s. Now, at that time in Iowa, it was called the farm crisis. There wasn't a lot of uh, spendable income by some of the families. So my partners got out of it, and I just kept the one and, and ran it for almost 30 years. Why, why a pizza shop, though, man? I mean, because you got canoeing on one side. What, what made you decide, oh, I'm going to have pizza over here? Yeah, it just happened. I fell into it. I was going to school. I graduated from the University of Northern Iowa with a teaching degree. But while I was getting that education, I started work, working at a pizza place there. And, and, and I love the fact that you're interacting with people that are trying to have fun. And all you got to do is make a great product and be nice to them. And it's an enjoyable evening. So I just kept doing that. <laughs> Add a bottle of red wine and it's a perfect evening, right? <laughs> That's yeah. how it's supposed to be. You know, hey, one I want to add, Rick, is that once that restaurant got flooded, um, then I was kind of like my wife said, you know, the flood kind of put me adrift. Like, what was I going to do? Well, it wasn't really to make much money at all, but I formed an LLC called Learn to Fish, where it's kind of an educational ecosystem trip where I would take little kids or their parents or anybody that wants to on local fishing excursions or up into Minnesota. You know, what time, what will happen sometimes is a child will We'll get to a certain age and ask mom and dad, hey, can you take me fishing? But the parent or caregiver may not know where to go, what to do, or have the equipment. But I can cover those bases at a fairly family-friendly cost and get them outdoors to enjoy something in real life instead of a video screen. For sure. Now, I'm doing the math in the back of my head here. Because if you were 27 and 79, that means you're probably going to turn 70 this year? 69? I will. Next yeah, I'm Turned 69 this August. That's incredible. So, in this summer, you're going to be canoeing from central Minnesota to the Gulf of Mexico. How many miles is that? About 2,100. Good Lord. So, that's almost double It's than the Minnesota to Hudson Bay trip that you took 42 years, 41 years ago. Yeah, the cool uniqueness of it, Rick, if you take going from that very same spot one direction and then going the other, you add them together, you got almost 3,500 miles. 
and I'm not going from the source of the Mississippi up at Itasca. I'm missing that by about 150 miles. But I just want to be able to say that we left from the very same location. And it's actually at a watershed divide where the water this direction to the east will fall into the Mississippi. And of course, on that other side of a lake called Portage Lake, which is where the furs went through way back, you know, centuries ago, um, the water went north. How many other people make this trip, man? I mean, uh, how many are going with you now and how many have gone before you? Because uh, there's got to be some treacherous waters along the way, yeah? Um, you know, it's not too bad um, as far as the treacherous things. There are a lot of locks to go through, but, you know, you get through those. You, they're, they're very helpful. You got to keep away from the barges and the other pleasure boat traffic. Now, as far as people that canoe the Mississippi, there's an entire group called the Mississippi River Paddlers, so they kind of keep track of anybody that's taking the whole stretch or partial stretches of the river. And there will be many people for one cause or another or just for fun that will do the entirety of the river this summer. Like I said, I'm not doing the entirety of Mississippi because I'm starting a different location. I'm actually going to do a little river called the Leaf River and then part of the Crow Wing River and then Old Man River himself for the rest of the way. Wow. How do you raise awareness for what you're doing? I mean, besides being on the show here today, but what do you have stops along the way where you're saying, hey, this is what I'm doing? Yeah, we're going to try to do that. Obviously, we're working on those things now as the trip is evolving. We've already set up a donation page with them with the uh, museum. They're the ones that will get the money and they're supposed to take care of that. And they're doing something on Facebook, of course. Um, the other thing I want to tell you is that as far as the actual cost of doing this trip, any equipment, um, supplies, uh, transportation, that's all self-funded. So any donations that we get all go to those take care programs, conservation action to advocacy, research and engagement that the river museum does. So, and you know, it's not going to cost me all that much because the equipment and I, I already have, it. In fact, the same cooking stuff we're going to have went all the way to Hudson Bay, you know, I'm still using the same plates. So. That's great. How much are you looking to raise on this trip? No, I've never done anything like this before. <laughs> through the webpage and Facebook, I think we're around $8,000 now that, I'd sure like to get a whole lot more. You know, if we could make a, a pile of money for those folks, they could set up an endowment to keep those fabulous programs, those, those important projects going far into the future. Yeah. That's phenomenal. So my final question, I guess, would be what happens after this trip? Because, I mean, the summer's done. You raise $10,000 for some clean water, maybe $20,000. That would be pretty awesome. But then what do you do next year? I think I'm going to just go back on some personal trips up to Canada. You know, the border's been closed just for almost a year and a half or so. I haven't been able to go to some of those special places that I enjoy camping and fishing. So I'll set up a two or three, you know, just small pleasure trips, you know, just to go back up there next year. That's awesome. Good deal. How long uh, do you have? Uh, do you have kids? Do what? I'm sorry. Do you have kids, children? We have three three children, a son and two daughters. My son is going to participate in part of this journey. See, this summer, I'm not going to be with the same person all the way down. It's going to evolve. Different people will be there for four days or three days or two weeks or whatever as we move down down the river. But yeah, Annie's going to go along for a while. Uh, my daughters, unfortunately, aren't going to be able to attend it, but they'll be following, of course, on Facebook and on their phones and that. For sure. That sounds amazing. Any of them following your footsteps? I know you said Andy, I think you said his name is, he's going to be with you part of the way, but anybody else hop in the water as much as you out of your kids? 
Oh, they all love that. Yeah. Uh, my daughter, Carrie, lives out in Denver, and she doesn't canoe as much as she hikes. You know, she goes up to all those big mountains, the 1400s and that. And um, Actually, years ago, I had the pleasure of writing a, a little story about when my kids first started canoeing with me in a stream in Iowa, and they named rocks for themselves. And it's been kind of a sentimental, uh, nostalgic trip to go back and see their rocks as we go down the river. Uh, I wrote a story about it that they put in the Iowa DNR's magazine. So that was really cool. Oh, that's awesome. You've been written up about that. It's really cool. So your trip this summer, how long is it going to take, do you think? Uh, similar to that other one, I think it'll be about 70, 70 days, maybe 75. I'd like to get done. I'm going to start the first week in June. I'd like to be done by the middle of August. That's great. Uh, you're still married. Yeah. Your wife? She's still <laughs> I'm still in the room right now saying, don't forget to mention Anne, St. Anne, who actually helped so much the start of that trip in 1979 as, and is my a strong support and technology advisor for this one. That's, <laughs> that's great. I was going to say, is this like a reprieve for her that you're gone for 70 days or is she treating you? <laughs> she just gave thumbs up. Right? Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> See, man, I know, I know. <laughs> that's, that's great, Hank. That's awesome. So 70 days, what does your wife do during this time? Well, we have a little place up in Minnesota near where we're going to start. I think she'll spend a lot of time with some wine on the deck there, looking at sunsets and, doing some kayaking. She's a retired RN that uh, helped people for about 45 years. So now she gets to kick back. That's really awesome. Yeah. I appreciate her for everything she's done for that period of time. I tell you, you know, the, I know the, well, thank you. Yeah. The couple of times I've been in the hospital, man, it's just uh, the nurses are what make the experience for real. And the ones that really take care of you. Yeah. Especially I think of this yeah. past year, everyone that's been on the front lines, you know, so for real, thank you for that. Thank your wife for that, please. I will. Thank you, Rick. Yeah, you bet. Well, my man, I appreciate you being on today. This is incredible. Everyone who can follow your trip, it looks like they go to rivermuseum.com slash one four water. That's O-N-E, the number four water. Is that correct? Absolutely. Awesome. And also can follow you on Facebook at one, spell it out, O-N-E, the number four water, one four water. That's awesome, my man. I'm excited. I'm going to go there too. I'm going to donate because I support your cause. Let's get some people some clean water. Sound good? Thank you. I'd like to close with this. You know, some people may say, why donate for such a cause? Well, a few years from now, if things would really go sideways from an environment or a clean water thing, a granddaughter or grandson may look up at you and say, hey, why didn't somebody do something? You know? And with this trip, I'll be able to say I can and people that donate can too. That's awesome. I love it, man. You've been feeding people's bellies with pizza for 30-something years, and now you're going to give them clean water. I love your approach to life. Thanks, Hank, for being on. Thank you very much, Rick. I sure appreciate it. Take care. What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In Podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me, 312-535-8520. Follow me on social media, at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan and I approve this message.